ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a pretty much a bonus podcast here on the Overlap while we wait for this week of games or this weekend's worth of games to come back in Spain and England. But yeah, we're back to discuss a little bit of, well, non-league action and kind of a little bit of league action. So last night, Rian and I were talking. Uh, Rian and I, was it was it the other night? Was it last night? It was last night, right? Uh, it, was probably, it, was probably, it was probably Tuesday night. Tuesday night, I lied. So Tuesday night we were talking. Um, we were just, you know, shooting the shit. And um, I said to Rian, I said, oh, well, this is weird. I just got a notification on my phone. Now I wasn't watching the game. Um, that the U.S. was playing Canada. And I was like, oh, sweet. I'll, I'll you know, take a look. Um, and then I got a notification after that. Uh, that said 1-0 to Canada. And I said, oh, that's pretty weird because Canada hasn't scored on us in a while (laughs) or, well, beaten us for a while as well. And then I got another notification that said Canada, 2, U.S., 0. And I swiftly responded to Rian and I said, are you okay? To which Rian, well... I'm not even going to tell you what he responded with because we are a PG-13 show, but I will say that it was worth making a podcast about. So, Rian, I know you only got a couple days left so you're in New York, man, but, um, yeah, you want to <laughs> you, any, – anything you want to say, this is, this is your time to shine. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's like, it's like I said in our Texas, I'm not even, it's like past disappointment. It's just actually just depressing more than anything. Um, I'm legitimately not mad anymore, I guess. Um, so I guess we'll get into it. Like, so obviously the U.S. is playing Canada in the CONCAF Nations League. Um, coming off the win against Cuba 7-0, which, you know, no one should have gotten that excited about because they should be beating um, a Cuba team like that 7-0. And also Cuba, like anyone who watched that game, Cuba actually is probably one of the worst uh, international teams in the world at the moment. Um, And so they're coming to this game, and if you look at all of the – press clippings and stuff coming into this you know the the canadian team head coach says you know that you can expect in the least from his team they'll come out they'll play with uh blood guts and uh thunder right and and then you have also the one of the midfielders for canada piet talking about the fact that you know there's a genuine hatred for the u.s um national team from the canadian side And I guess as soon as I read those things, and that was probably like two or three days ago, I was just like, oh, gosh, it feels like we might lose this game. (laughs) But, but, you know, never really got that serious about how much I thought, how how badly I thought this game could go. You know, I saw this stuff and I was like, God, this is going to probably be a horrible game. Like, this would be really, and I I really would not be massively surprised if they lose. But um, still never saw that scenario, really. so then we get to that day, and, and obviously I, I didn't get to watch it immediately live, right? So I, I went to watch, I went to see the Joker, um, 
because you know it's all it's Canada, and I was like, all right, whatever. I'll watch the. Like, I'm sure they'll they'll handle this, and I'll watch the replay of it afterwards. And so, you know, I go see the Joker. Uh, good film, by the way. You know, really film, good film, very, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. I, I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend people to go see it because it's so dark, but um, but generally <laughs> good film. Um, but anyway, I get out of it and I get the text from you that Canada scored. And then, um, and then my, my night is like immediately ruined. Um, I watched the last, let's say 10 minutes, horrible. Um, and again, the score second goal, right? So, um, some of this game, it, it was arguably the worst performance. Like, I, I went back and watched, <laughs> I watched the, the game fully. I fully watched the game, maybe like two or three hours after um after it ended as you remember i texted you saying that i almost started watching the replay and i got kind of nauseous for just from like the first just from like the pregame build-up because i kind of knew what was coming um those were his actual words by the way yeah and so and so that then i stopped watching it and i got i got went back to it maybe an hour and a half two hours later um watched the full 90 and i can tell you that it was probably the worst performance i've ever seen this of the u.s men's national team uh probably in our lifetime definitely of any match i've ever watched them play and that includes the trinidad and tobago game i mean this was worse this was the performance the pure performance was worse the you know that's, i mean that's a bold bold claim right i like that. I, I, I honestly don't think it is <laughs> I, I <laughs> legit legitimately like because that Trinidad and Tobago game is pretty seared into my mind, um, right? I can really vividly remember that game. They, I mean, that, that game was somewhat fluky. Remember, I mean, remember Trinidad? There's an own goal in that game. There's yeah, um, yeah. Trinidad and Tobago's second goal is a, is just a disgusting like, goal. <laughs> it's actually just a filthy goal, like a a, stri- a wonder strike. Um, and and. and the U.S. actually created a, enough chances to get at least a draw in that game, and they just they just didn't finish them. In this, it was worse. It was so much worse. The embarrassing amount of bad touches and missed passes from from a lot of the players on the field. Like like no one, no one is really. Um, no one on the pitch could really say that that they at least did their part i mean there, there are a few people here and there i thought i thought mckinney was i thought mckinney and morris were probably the two best players for the u.s in that game but that, that's not saying much i mean uh, i don't think Sargent had a good game um I, I guess you can't necessarily blame stefan for anything you can't really blame the keeper for for either of those two goals to be honest um but but everyone i mean f- from the midfield to the attack, there was a, just a lack of a coherent game plan for the team. Um, and obviously, of course, you know, Bearhalter pretty much just his only real takeaway from the game is that they, that the team um, lacked desire, which, which is somewhat true. Um, I completely, I, I agree. There was like very minimal commitment and passion from, a, from a lot of the players on the pitch. Um, yeah, the, the, but in the end, they they weren't they weren't mentally, physically, nor tactically prepared for this game, and that 
those are three things that you would expect the head coach to be able to at least have his team ready in, in any of those three things. Three things, mental, physical, tactical. Those are three things that you would expect your team to be prepared for that the coach is supposed to prepare you. The coach is, not maybe not just him, but the coaches are supposed to prepare you for that, and they were not prepared in any of those three things. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was – it was really horrible. It was really horrible to, to, to rewatch that game because it was so much worse than I actually expected it to be. You know, um, just, just horrible. I'll, I'll let you speak a little bit. Then, then I'll give my like full game notes on it. But, you know, from from your perspective, Elias, I don't know. What's, what's your takeaway from this? My takeaway is that this game from what I looked back and, and looked through the extended highlights and everything, my impression is that I think this game showed all of the cracks of the US Soccer Federation. Not I think I think it's very easy to pinpoint the specific players on the field and the performance and outline exactly what went wrong, right? Tactically people were misplaced. Um Greg Berhalter has, you know, on multiple occasions said that there are certain players that should be, in his opinion, in positions that they do not naturally play. Um, And I I obviously I don't agree with that. But that goes down or that is the fault of none of the players. Right. It's the talent is there. The talent is there for a genuinely good squad. Oh, that, that actually, that, that's the, I mean, I mean, that's the thing, actually, I, I'm, I, like, you know, I'm seeing, seeing a lot of stuff the last couple of days that, you know, maybe that, you know, we overrate the U.S. soccer team and, and, um, and like, we don't, we shouldn't really like want that. We, we shouldn't be clamoring so hard for the team to play a, a better style of football than we've seen in the last like deck or a couple decades or so. And, and we want too much from the team, whatever. I mean, I will be the first to tell you that the current group of players that keep getting called to the national team for the most part, a lot of them are not good. So, so like I like I don't know who these people. Are. I don't know who these people are that that believe that U.S. that actual U.S. soccer fans, like people who closely follow the team and closely follow the national team and everything. None of us are like mystified by like we think that this team sh- that that like we think that these group of players should be really really good because a lot of us will look at these group of players and say that actually a fair amount of these guys shouldn't be called to the national team anyway um so i i mean but they should still be good enough to win against canada i mean it, it's really that simple uh but sorry, sorry no, i i think though no, no, there's no fault in that. I, I completely agree with you. They they should be good enough to beat Canada. That's not the issue. I think the thing is it it outlines exactly what's wrong with you, the U.S. Federation, right? Is that when you don't have good management of a squad or a program, then you don't actually have a good team that can compete, irrespective of the talent. The only play, pr- player that I've seen in my personal lifetime that has been able to combat bad management is Lionel Messi. And I'm not being biased. I'm, be- I'm being very serious. 
like you've seen what's happened at United, right? You saw what happened at Liverpool before they, you know, had their huge management change. Man- the, the, the importance of having a good management system in place that understands the structure of what a soccer federation or a soccer club needs to be built upon is the most important thing besides the players on the field because I I know you can talk about this for hours about how disorganized the the U.S. Soccer Federation actually is ranging from the youth programs that we know that a lot of these players have been built up through all the way now to the senior level and I think those those cracks were exposed in this game and I'm hoping that people realize that it's not necessarily the players faults here yeah, no, I hope so too. And, and I'll just try to just go through like my it's detailed game notes from from this. I'll try to go through them fairly quickly. You know, like I said, a, an unreal amount of bad touches and misplaced passes from from professional players. You know, people not being able to make simple ten yard passes to each other, not being able to control simple ten yard passes from each other. Um, like I said, I, I thought I thought Weston, I thought Weston McKinney at least in the least showed passion and desire at least on the field um you know he was pretty much the only person that was that was i I guess mentally prepared for the type of game that it was going to be he got in the faces of the canadian stuff and 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 was not backing down at all from them um what next um you know they played a high line for for some reason with um with a 31 year old tim ream and um and Aaron Long, you know, and they were they were up against Alfonso Davies, who's who's a genuinely very good player um, on Canada. He's he's a 19 year old. He played in, played at Toronto FC, but but um, last year might have been I think actually during January um, got the move to Bayern Munich, and uh, I think he's he's had about like 10 or 10 or so appearances for them since joining. He's he's a genuinely very good player, and and. He and uh, Jonathan David, who's a striker for Canada, who plays at um, at in Belgium on Ghent. Uh, the, two good players. They were running. In, they were running at the defense. Like there was an obvious game plan from Canada to make runs in behind and try to just cause a lot of like uh, pace problems for the for the U.S., which you know were there when you look at the the center backs. Um, Apart from that, uh, I, I legitimately can't remember the last time I've seen Michael Bradley intercept a pass in midfield. It's just so easy to pass, so easy to pass <laughs> around him. It's it's unbelievable. He does. He actually just can't do a number six role in international. He's not international. He's not international level anymore. You know, he he can't actually. Was he ever like genuinely? Do you think he was ever international? Gen- level? Yeah, I do think he was. I think he was maybe like five five years ago. I, I think I think the last. Pretty much 2014, the world that the 2014 World Cup was probably the last time that I would say he was an international level player. I'm not saying he was ever world class or, or like even or even a tier or two below world class, right? Uh, but international level, like someone who can at least hold his own um, against international teams, right? You know that that's another level. That's like a level to get to after after being like a professional club player, right? You know that's another level. That's a different level of competition. But and he's not there right. anymore, and he hasn't been there for years. But he still gets called. He still gets called up. Doesn't matter. Um, uh, the, the the attackers, like I said, the attack. I mean, Christian was not good. 
Um, Josh Sargent was not good. I thought Jordan Morris was okay. Um, the, the attackers were done no favors with the lack of creativity that was coming from the midfield. I mean, it, it was, I guess, a 4-3-3, but Weston McKinney pressed very high, so it, it basically maybe it was more like a 4-2-3-1, and your pivots, a double pivot of Bradley and Roldan, two players who cannot handle being pressed whatsoever. Both of them, every time there was pressure, misplaced pass or pass it straight backwards. They, they, they couldn't, they, there was no service really for, for Sergeant, um, which contributed to like just his pretty poor day. Um, and like I said, Christian, like I said, Christian wasn't very good, but I mean, the decision to, to take off your best player, your your best your best most creative um best attacking threat your most creative player on the pitch after taking out after 60 minutes um it's just baffling it was it was almost it was almost like a sign of saying uh, not, not i don't want to say it was a sign of giving saying give up or anything like that but that's almost kind of how it felt it, not not even saying like the goals were scored at that point or anything just like just in terms of the way the game was going. I mean, it. <laughs> I I don't. I genuinely think it was not like some kind of waving of the white flag. It was he. He. I'm not going to call this coach by his real first name anymore. I I, I refuse. I refuse to to actually. Is there is there a name that you'd like to to mention that you're going to be calling call him by him. now? He's either he's either egg. He's just egg, actually. When I speak, when I speak about him, he's just egg. When I type his name out, he's either egg or I'm spelling out his full name and I'm capitalizing the E and double G's in his name. Um, no, he, he comes out afterwards, says that, that Christian has flu-like symptoms or some bullshit, whatever. Um, if you, I don't know if you, if you look at the, if you watch the game, um, he gets subbed off and he's immediately, you can see he's, fr- you see he's really frustrated. He didn't really, didn't want to get subbed off at all. Comes off. Dude, it's the flu like symptoms. Comes off, he's pissed, um, like hits the chair, hits one of those like chairs on the bench and, and it's just sitting there and, and he's so, and it's like, I can, I'm genuine. I genuinely felt horrible. I felt horrible seeing his reactions because he he looked like on the verge. He looked like he was on the verge of tears. Like it, it all, he was on the verge of tears. He was really he was really frustrated. And, and then Greg comes over to him, and <laughs> Greg comes over to him, and, he's, and he like kind of like snaps at him. He's like, "Yes, I'm, like I'm fine. I'm fine." It's like and just like tells him to get away. Um, you know, whatever. So that so that that decision itself horrible because you bring on Ariola and and then we never get another chance. We never get really a, another chance in the game. Um, but even with all that, like I said, Roldan and Bradley absolutely useless. If you're playing, if they're going to be there, they have to at least somewhat help create chances. But neither of them can whatsoever. None of them can play in tight spaces or apparently make fifteen yard passes. I mean. <laughs> I mean, Bradley played a, a couple cross uh, switches of play, like cross ball, cross diagonal, or sorry, diagonals. Um, and Egg says at, at halftime, like, oh, we need to play more. We need, we need to play more. We need to switch to play more. Like, like as if that was the fucking problem. Um, no, I mean, that, that all encompasses the fact that they don't have – 
they don't have a shot on target until like the 44th minute of this game. It's just, just embarrassing. Um, I think it's, it's a shot from Pulisic. Um, and overall in the entire game, they have three shots on target. They have seven shots in total against um, like the 78th ranked team in the world. Uh, it's, it just doesn't get any, it doesn't get, it doesn't get any better. There's, there's literally no positive to take from this game whatsoever. Um, and, and, to I guess a broader level of outside of outside of this game, which is like I said, you know, the, like you were saying, the manager is not the only the, the head coach is not the only problem. Um, but like I said, from a broader standpoint, I don't know where we go from here. Like Ian Dark said it perfectly at the end of this game. He says a calamitous, disjointed, error-strewn, awful performance from the U S men's soccer team. It, and it was, it, it, it absolutely was. I, you couldn't disagree with any of that. Um, I just don't know where we go from here. Uh, my first thought is I, the only way to make this even hurt or matter is for people to just stop going to the games. I just, there's no reason that anyone should buy a ticket to the U.S. men's soccer team right now. Like, there's no reason. No one should be buying tickets to these games because the pure fact of of how the U.S. Soccer Federation is governed now is as a business, right? So <laughs> we have a GM, Ernie Stewart, who was hired in, I believe it was 2018, in 2018, he was hired, I think, in June, right? And for some reason, a year later, a year and a couple months later, this past August, he gets promoted to uh, technical director. Sports, I guess, sports director, technical director, whatever they're calling it. Um, in that year <laughs> since he was hired, right? The only thing he's done is hire Egg. That's all he's done. And that got him a promotion. <laughs> like, that, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. He, that's all he's done. And, and since then, the results, what has happened since he got, since he got hired? We have lost to Mexico twice, one of them being in the Gold Cup final. One of them being the the just uh, the the beatdown of three 0 earlier this year, um, we barely beat Cur- Curacao in in the Colt Cup. Um, we were only able to score one goal in the first half against my parents' country, Guyana, which was ranked uh, like 160th in the world. And- Hey, (laughs) represent. But, but, you know, in in U.S. soccer, you fail upwards, basically. Uh, Everyone fails upwards. So promote it for what exactly? Um, You have the CEO of the U.S. Soccer Federation is Egg's brother, Jay Burhalter. 
who is now in consideration to become the CEO of the U.S. Soccer Federation. The CEO is, re- CEO is retiring, and he nice. is now in consideration. And looks like odds on he will be the CEO of the U.S. Soccer Federation. <laughs> when Sunil Gulati was finally ousted for the years of incompetence and, and just – just, I guess, caring more about money, basically. Um, finally, yeah, when it was finally, <laughs> Ford, if you will. the Federation response was to hold an election, wink, wink, and actually just promote, <laughs> end up promoting his right-hand man, Carlos Cadero, who was the vice president of U.S. Soccer Federation before he became full president. Right? So the, 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 the U.S. Soccer Federation is all... It's all this. It's all, it's all this exclusivity. It's all you know. It's it's all the good old boys. All the good old boys that that just like making that care more about the business side apparently. And what's going to change? I don't like. I'm so defeated, dude. I'm so defeated. Like nothing's going to change because it's it's run like a business. It's not run. It's not run as if they're trying. Well, that's. I mean, that's what. Every single soccer organization now not, is run like, like everything is like that. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. You I, don't think that people look at, well, maybe not people, but you don't think that owners of clubs or even heads clubs. of federations? That's clubs. <laughs> clubs is a much different thing. Clubs, clubs. we can always argue whether they should be run as a business, right? Like, sure. At least there's, we can argue that. But when you're talking about, an entire country, a federation, where you're, where the job of the federation is to further the sport. It's not. It's not to have these guys playing in a baseball stadium that where they're not going to sell out, and they're playing on a baseball pitch, and the fields are horrible, and, and no, it's not a real soccer field. And, and who the hell is getting better by playing on that kind of field? It's not. <laughs> making kids who are like 14 under pay thousands of dollars just to be on a club team, just to have a chance to play professionally. That's not, that's not the job of, it's, it's not the job of, of the Federation. It's not to make money off of, off of 10 year olds and their families. It's like, it's right. It's not just to try to play in a massive same or, or some bullshit like that. It's, it's to further the game, and they don't. And they're not doing that. They're not. That's not the. That's not the number one priority of them. Like, just think about this. Three years ago, England gets knocked out of the Euros by Iceland, right? And it's a. It's an absolute embarrassment, right? As it should have been, right? And, and you look at the team that they fielded on that day. The center backs were Gary Cahill and Chris Smalling, two guys who don't get called to the internet to England anymore. Cahill, granted, he's older, but he never got called to the team again after that. After after the Euros, after 2016 Euros, Chris Smalling still young enough to get called, but he has not gotten a call in at least a year. Um, Kyle Walker didn't even get called this past break. I mean, he'll he's more of a regular, but still, you know, it's it's still a that's still a sign, right? You know. The, Wayne Rooney retired. Sturridge started that game. Sturridge never got called again to the to the England team. Um, guys, Adam Milano is on the bench. hasn't gotten called. Nathaniel Klein, uh, Jack Wilshere, Ryan Bertrand. The, the that was the profile of the team. The, the team was older. The team was not 
was just not constructed well. So what happened since then? You look three years later, and you see the guys that they're starting during these past qualifiers. The age profile is cut down by like four years at least in terms of average age here. Like the oldest guys, <laughs> the oldest guys on the team are, are Jordan Henderson and like Harry Maguire, pretty much. Jordan Henderson, Maguire, and Trippier were all like 27, right? Those are the oldest guys on the team. There's an obvious, there was an obvious plan after their embarrassment. And it wasn't to try to play like the best the best international teams in Wembley every every international break it, it wasn't it wasn't to like go and play um go and play in the United States during international breaks and try to get some money it was to change the composition of the team it was to start it was to take a look inside and say we need to give chances to these young guys and <laughs> and we need to have a definitive plan going forward a team that we're gonna be we're gonna live and die with pretty much right in terms of we're gonna develop a playing style and we're gonna have these guys develop together because that is more important than keeping the same old thing it's more important than just trying to consolidate the power that we have and and just make sure that people come and see the recognizable names right if you look at the U.S., two years on from Trinidad and Tobago, right? And granted, a lot of the players, a lot of the players don't get called to the team anymore. Fair, but the age profile hasn't really changed that much. You still have, I mean, you still have Michael Bradley getting called to the team. Um, you know, I don't particularly have a problem with Josie Outdoor, but but he was only not called up this break because of, because of injury. Um, the the average age on that team was was obviously I think higher, but but the core message going forward has not changed. There's still a lot of MLS players on this team, and I know I bash on MLS a fair amount, and I do legitimately think the league is getting better, but it's not good enough. It's just not good enough. We like like the quality. Not, of the yeah, league. I mean the quality of the league is not good enough it's not it's not good enough to have guys who have been in that league for their entire career to have someone like Aaron Long who's 27 and been in the MLS in his entire career it's not good enough for someone like that to be on this team to be called up to international teams it's not good enough for someone like Christian Roldan who granted he's he's only 24 but has been in the MLS his entire career has never really sniffed a year a chance at Europe um it's not good enough for guys like him to be on this team it's not good enough for someone like Lovitz who's a left back who seemingly starts almost every game at left back and, and it's called and 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 apparently egg just loves him and starts him at left back almost every game um he's 28 and it's been MLS's entire career. It's not good enough, right? That, that's it's, and and I said this on Twitter too. Like, just an overall, overall, like depressing thing about all of this, right? Is that you know I've got we got fr- I have friends like you, and we have our other friends who are who love European soccer, who are all who are all American, almost all are American, and. We'll watch watch the World Cup and enjoy the World Cup, and we'll definitely be watching the Euros next summer, right? 
And I can't convince them to – I have a hard time convincing them just to, like, at least be aware of the European – of the Americans that are playing in Europe, right? I'm having trouble just getting that. Like, that should be exciting enough. But even less, having trouble for them to give a shit about the U.S. men's national team, right? Like, just not, not to call you out, but – you can. You didn't even watch this game, and I can't blame you. Like I can't blame you. And I yeah, no, exactly. I, 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 I don't disagree. I can't blame any. I can't blame anyone. I can't blame anyone for not caring. For there's so there is such a morose and just complete apathy towards the U.S. the U.S. men's team right now, and the only thing that's gonna make those guys up at the top, take notice and, and actually try to fix it um, is for people to stop going to the games. It's for the, for the money to start taking a hit, right? Because there are more, there are almost definitely more soccer fans uh, at least European soccer or, or club soccer fans in the U.S., especially for our generation. There are more of them than ever before. And the fact that maybe I literally, I could name on one hand people that I know that care about the U.S. men's soccer team, whereas I could name 40, I could name it maybe like 50, 60 people that I know that, that care, that, that closely follow European soccer. The fact that I could maybe only name like three or four that care about the U.S. Um, soccer team is, should be embarrassing. It should, it should be appalling for, for the Federation. And I'm not sure it is. I'm not, and, and I'm not sure that, that they're going to care. I'm not sure that they're going to care to try to get an outside voice. If the six CEO, someone's hired within, then whatever. Then I guess there's nothing, there's nothing that actually can be changed about the team. Uh, and, you know, we're going to come back in November. The, they'll get some players back from injury. They'll have players like Tyler Adams back. They'll, they Maybe they'll have Tim Weah back. Maybe they'll have John Brooks. Like Maybe they'll have, they'll have people come back from injuries, but it's just, it's, just papering over the cracks. That's all this is. Because in the end, nothing's going to happen to the head coach. He's def- almost definitely not going to get fired. Um, again, because his brother is literally a chief executive. Um, generation. <laughs> his boss. Um, the, the man who hired him, it, the man who hired him got promoted. Uh, and that guy, his boss is Egg's brother. So, you know, you can expect that nothing's going to change. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Like I said, the, the if uh, for anyone out there that might be listening to this that actually cares about the U.S. soccer, the U.S. men's team, um, that's my only response is that just stop going to games. There's, there's no reason. There's no reason to go to games until until something has literally changed. It, it's not fun anymore. It used to be fun to watch the team, but it's just not. And, and it's just, it's really disappointing. It's really, really disappointing. Honestly, you just, you honestly, you just, you sound like you're hurting right now, you know? And uh, like, 
like on the real, like it sucks the way that this is playing out because honestly, I, I can't say I would go as far as telling people not to go to games because it's not enjoyable. But I think you have a valid point as to why, because there are a lot of people right now that look at this team and recognize that there are structural flaws to it. And until those flaws get fixed at a higher level, kind of like what you were saying, I think there's very little compelling reason to continue I, I mean, continue supporting at least management, you know. I will, I will support the players and I will support the team, but like you said, I'm not, I don't watch them that much because as, as a fan of the U.S. Men's National Team at, you know, a, a lower level than you, quite frankly, like I still want to enjoy the watching the team. And quite frankly, I, I can't right now because it's not good football. It's not good soccer. And the reason behind that is literally what we've talked about for the last 30 minutes. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I mean, and, and like I've said before, I I love international sports. I love international soccer. I, I like, I would take, and, 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 I, and obviously this is not that big of a, this is not a hot take at all, but I, I but in all honesty, I would, take watching the u.s soccer team make it to the semifinals of a world cup over chelsea winning over chelsea winning the treble in a season i would i i say that no bs i would i would rather if i had a choice i would rather see the u.s men's team make it to the semifinal of a world cup than watch chelsea win a treble and that's just how much it actually like not even just the U.S. team means to me, but like international soccer—that's that's the pedestal I put it on. I think it's, you know, winning the World Cup is the is the best trophy that there is in sports, in my opinion. Uh, but, but you know, I saw that I I would have no, yeah, that, I mean, they're they're I mean, those two <laughs> things are uh, well, actually, no, Chelsea winning the trouble is a much higher po- possibility of happening. But, but you know, that's just to illustrate. Illustrate, you know, where I, how I feel about this stuff. Um, I mean, I, I would. My last thing on this, I, I would highly recommend. Um, if anyone anyone is uh, familiar with um, Barstool Sports, their soccer podcast is it's it's called uh, Sam's Army. You know, the episode that came out today uh, had someone that people will probably recognize. Most people will recognize probably is Cal Martino. He's he works for NBC Sports. He's the guy you always see on the in the mornings on on a Premier League Premier League mornings when they when they're in the studio and stuff. Um, he's the guy with the big beard and hair and stuff. American guy who ran for president, ran for the U.S. Soccer president when they were doing the election, right? So um, and, and I highly recommend people listen to this because uh i believe from minute 13 to 20 21 he pretty much goes off on the election process on the toxicity of the upper upper level management there and and just you know the problems with us soccer as a whole and 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 you listen to that and it, it takes you to like another level of depression because he was actually, he actually knows a lot of people inside <laughs> the U S soccer federation and he was a part of that fake 
election process where basically he was told like very early on that that he had no chance to win and it was going to be the guy who it was so so I, I highly recommend people like wow. you too Elias I highly recommend listening to it it's 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 very telling it's very telling of, of oh, yeah. what of what the um of what the US soccer federation really cares about no i i absolutely We'll take a take a look at that. I saw your tweet about it today, um, but I haven't gotten a chance to to get a look at it yet. But that's crazy to to think about how essentially corrupt the the U.S. Federation is, um, and and I don't throw that around lightly. I, I mean, genuinely, this was you're talking about an election, right? That pretty much had someone chosen from the beginning, and th- that was pu- almost publicly known. Um, so yeah, it's <laughs> there's just so many problems. Like we just spent the last forty minutes going over this, and it's just frustrating. You know, it's the federation. It's a fucking oligopoly. <laughs> it's basically all, like sports are supposed to be a meritocracy, and and, and our federation is run like a fucking. Oligopoly. Does it remind you of any specific country by chance? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. No comment. No comment. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Yeah. So I really honestly don't know how this will be resolved. I I, I just I don't know where they're going to go from here. I don't don't know what the whole process is going to be like. I'm just I'm I'm stuck. I'm stuck in the middle of thinking, you know, I'm going to watch these games support the team at the same time. How can I do that when I know what's going on above them? You know, and it, honestly, it's kind of the same thing with Barcelona. I I absolutely hate the management, but at the same time, I will keep supporting them because they are my team and I, and I love the players, etc. But yeah, it's it's not not fun at all for for you especially and and me as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty much done. That's that's pretty much all I have to say on it. I guess we'll maybe be back talking about them in November, but for the next international break. But that's all I got to say on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, with that in our ranting, and by our, I mean Rian ranting for quite a while um, about the U.S. men's national team, rightfully so, quite frankly. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, recompose our thoughts, and then we'll talk a little bit of La Liga news. gentlemen we are back on the pod here after a mildly depressing start to it with talking about the u.s best national team and pretty much all of their failings for the last several years um but it was necessary to talk about we got to talk about it because it's a problem and we want to make people aware of it and we want to voice our thoughts on that area of things but we're gonna go over to the other side of the ocean and talk a, a little about Liga because things have been things have been heating up in barcelona and i'm not talking from a, a footballing perspective so on yes, very, yes, yeah. Alice, you have to, you got to tell me what's going on in, in, uh, I guess not just Spain, but the Catalan region too. Obviously I saw all this, um, all this commotion about, well, not just riots, but also the scheduling of, of El Clasico and, and not just El Clasico, but other games too, right? Yeah. So basically 
from a like let, let's start with an overview of what's been going on in in Catalonia um, and and specifically Barcelona as well. So the if you remember a couple years ago. Um, there was, uh, you know, was talk of referendum um, for Catalonia, um, and as you know, conversations go on about Catalan independence, um, people were um, arrested for riots, and and the same sort of thing kind of happened with riots about two or three years ago, uh, for different reasons. It, it first happened because of this referendum that um, was supposed to be voted on. And again, it, I don't want to go too far into it, but it was Catalonia versus Spain and, and the argument for independence. And so now, about two days ago, um, there was a ruling in Spain that jailed and sentenced, I think it was nine Catalan independence uh, leaders to to jail time and and I think pretty significant jail time at that in somewhere in like five, five year range something like that um, and so they those charges were announced and those sentences were announced and immediately after that the city started rioting um, and there were demonstrations some peaceful um, and some not so much I think the scenes of that a lot of people have seen from Barcelona specifically have been you know very much destructive um, and not very constructive, if you will. And so that has led the the league and, and mainly the league, not necessarily the Federation yet, but the league to consider at least the possibility of postponing El Clasico, which is supposed to be next weekend. Um, I believe that's what, the 28th? 26th? Uh, 26th, yeah. 26th, right. So they um they're supposed to play on the 26th originally and so now there's a conversation that's begun within the league specifically um and probably between the clubs at this point um to discuss whether or not they have a couple options here so the first option that i think the league is looking towards is moving el clasico entirely and moving it to december 18th which December 18th is a Copa del Rey um, fixture, uh, uh, what's it called, game slot, if you will, with the exception of the four teams playing in the Spanish Super Cup. So that would be uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, and Valencia. And so they don't have to play in the Copa del Rey that specific day. Um, but the, the league is considering moving El Clasico to that date and having them play a league game then. Uh, would it overshadow the other Copa del Rey games? Yes. Um, but I think in... I, I guess they're, they're prioritizing safety here is, is what they're looking for. Uh, the second option is, I think that was considered, is moving the fixtures or swapping the fixtures. So next weekend the game will be played at that, uh, the Santiago Bernabeu and the one next year, I believe it's in March or something along those lines, um, would be played at the Camp Nou. The only problem with that is that, and I think the whole problem with moving these dates in general or anything like that, is that the 100,000 fans or so, and I'm sure even more than that, uh, people that have scheduled tickets, scheduled hotels, scheduled flights, scheduled essentially time off or time to come to Barcelona to see this game will have to totally change things around. 
and it would be a sunk cost for them because I, I'm not sure how money back would work and how that whole process would work. But it would it would be hugely, hugely impactful on the people going to see this game. Now, there is a conversation about how much I think we I think a lot of people have this conversation about how much sports and politics should mix, right? For Barcelona and Catalonia as a whole, sports and politics are intertwined. They go hand in hand, and especially in that region of the world. And it's hard for me to imagine a situation in which those two are not uh, at all, uh, or they're entirely independent from each other, because the history of the Franco era um, and, and, you know, the history that it has with Catalonia and with Barcelona is still in the minds of many, many Catalans. And I know people that are Catalan. I know people that are Spanish. And this is something that's not going to go away. So when the argument that I think I, I see a lot of people making is that sports and politics shouldn't mix, well, that, that's not the case here. They go hand in hand. And they're very, very important. And honestly, when you when you cannot guarantee the safety, I think it's like 1,300 policemen, stewards, people that are responsible for security during the game, both inside and outside the stadium, are dedicated to El Clasico specifically, like 1,300 people on a regular basis. I can't even imagine how many people they would need to keep the city safe and keep the stadium safe when there are demonstrations and stuff like that outside the stadium, in the city center. You know, Then the question becomes, how would players get around? How would the team buses you know, go around? Last point I'll make as well, because this is a very early game um, in Barcelona, theoretically, it would be at 1 p.m., that means that Real Madrid would also have to come into Barcelona the night before and stay the night at a hotel, which is probably not the safest thing that the league is thinking right now um, for for those players as well. So there's just, it's, it's such a, a complex Situation ranging from the politics to the operational and logistics side of things. So, I, I, re, I honestly I don't know what's going to happen. I think what the league and what I, I've been reading today is that they might move it to December eighteenth because that seems like a, a not a happy medium but a, a medium at least. But this would really suck. It would really suck for people. Yeah. No. And and. I think it's important for people to recognize too, like one of the reasons why El Clasico is such a massive rivalry and, and like considered the best club rivalry and stuff. And like one of the big things is, is that um, whole Catalonia versus Spain kind of like little thing that's also added into Barcelona and Real Madrid, right? Because, you know, Madrid's the capital. And then you have Barcelona, which which is a part of you know Catalonia, right? And and there's the there is the it is inherent in this rivalry is that is that political difference between the Catalans and the you know um, native Spanish like people who aren't born in the Catalonia region, right? So like it's it's important for people to to know about this and and also just know that this rivalry it, it is partially political. It just is. That that is part of it. Exactly. Exactly. It's important to understand how entrenched politics is within 
Barcelona and the identity of the club, right? The, the history of the club ranges through the Franco era when, you know, players and, and politicians in Catalonia would, would rebel both publicly and privately against this this regime, if you will. And it was much more violent back in, you know, the 60s and, and that time. But it still has lasting effects to today. People that were alive then still are alive today and they still remember and they've shared that history. And it's been going on for so long that you can't just remove that element of both the politics and the game. Because that's, like you said, one of the biggest reasons for their rivalry is is down to the politics itself. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I mean... This is, like you said, super complex and and it's you know, disappointing that we're not going to have we're not going to be able to go watch um, a Classico next next weekend like we plan to. Um, and now you're looking at it's most likely a mid-December game now um, and it'll be on the same day as Copa del Rey, which kind of which kind of um, really lessens the importance of those games. Which I'm sure is, I guess, a bullet that they're willing to take, but it, it sucks nonetheless for for everyone involved right yeah no one wants to see other games overshadowed or anything like that you obviously want games and teams to get their fair share of viewing um obviously el Clasico is huge for the the world and everything like that but it, it is kind of a shame that you would have to schedule a game on that specific day but then again, you know, there's so many questions here. Like, what game is going to take place over the next weekend, right? Is it going to be essentially like a bye week for these two teams? Like, that, I don't know. I, I just don't know what's going to happen. Logistically, it, it doesn't make sense to me. But uh, like, like I always say, I'm not the one in charge, ultimately. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is that is the situation in La Liga um, and in Spain right now. Obviously, I, I hope and pray for all the people in Catalonia right now that they stay safe. Um, you know, nothing bad or negative happens to them. Um, there, I, there hopefully will be a peaceful resolution to all of this. Um, of course, I, I don't expect the Classico to be played next weekend, which would be really a shame, but that's looking more and more likely every every hour. Um, but we will see what happens um, probably by Monday because I think that's when the league wants both teams to, to kind of come to a consensus on what to, what to do um, with the situation in tandem and then present some sort of resolution um, or solution to... Um, the the Spanish Federation, which will ultimately um, work with the league on this. So that's the situation in, in Barcelona. Uh, we'll see what happens and, and keep you guys updated on social media as well. Um, but with that, I think we're going to wrap up this extra pod here that we had. Hopefully this weekend's games are just as entertaining as two weeks ago. Um, but am I missing anything, Rion? Uh, no, I think I think we're all good. We, we obviously, there'll be the Liverpool United game, I believe, on Sunday. Um, no De Gea and no Pogba, so that should go swimmingly. So four that should go swimmingly. Um, <laughs> no, outside of that, I think I think we're all wrapped up for the day. Um, as always, if you could give us a, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, if you listen to Apple Podcasts, or follow us on Spotify, or obviously on Google Play as well for any of you Android users. And um, 
And also, if you could leave us a rating on iTunes, or I guess not, it's not iTunes anymore, um, on Apple Podcasts, that is much, much appreciated. Yeah. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off, and we will talk to you guys next week after this week's league games. Take care, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.